0: Good morning. It's uh, hard to believe, but I had a guy ask me this morning on the way, and did you see the Indians game last night? And I, I said, no. And he looked at me like I was strange as could be. He goes, you really didn't watch the game? <laughs> so, sorry, I, I missed it. <laughs> but I hear, I hear that we won, so that's exciting, very exciting. Uh, but we're not nearly as excited about that as we are about worshiping God together, Amen. I uh, thank you, Pierce, for leading us. It's been, um, it's been so good to just worship with you this morning and to focus our hearts and our attention on the character of God. He is marvelous. He is wonderful. And it's good to be in his presence. I, I was going to ask you, a, I am going to ask you a question this morning, but the question was going to, what could be, um, what's the best gift you've ever received? And we would have to say it's the gift of Jesus Christ. It's the gift of salvation right? But I want to turn that on its head and ask you this question. What's the best gift you've ever given? What's the best gift you've ever given? And I'd really like you to go with me on this because I'm going to do several things with this question this morning. It's not just a rhetorical question. Think think with me about the circumstances. What what was that gift that you gave? Did Did you buy it? Did you wrap it? Was it something you made and then gave to somebody? Um, was it a check that you wrote them? Was it cash you gave? Was, come on, get, get in your brain the best gift you've ever given. Got it? Who, who, who did you give it to? Get all these, all these circumstances, because I, I want you to go with me on this. <clears throat> and was it a spontaneous gift, or did you plan this out for a long time? Was there a lot of people when you gave this gift? Was it just you and that person? Were you even with them when you gave it? You know, did you give something to the mail or send something to a package? Well, I'm trying to get you to to think with me of that that moment that you were, when you were with somebody and you gave them the best gift you've ever given. Can, you got? Can I just see your hands? You got it? Oh, I need to. Okay, I just need to stall a little bit longer until we all get it. Um. I can't think of any jokes. <laughs> so you're gonna have to come work with me here. Yeah, Maybe maybe you don't have a whole lot of gifts that you've given. I, I don't know, but I need you to think with me because there's a, a special moment that happened in your life when you gave that gift. Now, it doesn't have to be something that's worth a lot of money. It could be something that's just significant to you. Again, maybe it's something that you made that you, you know, someone could buy for $19.99, but you made it, and so it's special. That's your... That's the best gift you've ever given. Maybe it was years ago. Maybe it was just last night. But now I I, I want you to, as you think about the circumstances of that gift and you giving it, imagine the, the, you know, remember the look on the person's face or the phone call they sent back when they got it. And if you can do that, now remember what you felt. With me? Remember the feeling that you had When they opened the gift, when they saw the gift, and hopefully you were there, maybe you weren't, but the moment that you were interacting with them and you felt that that feeling of, yes, you got that feeling? That is the feeling of joy. Have you experienced that feeling? Now, joy comes at other times, but that feeling, when you gave that gift, the best gift you've ever given, because it doesn't happen with every gift, but the best gift you've ever given, when you gave that and you felt that feeling, that's the feeling of joy. It's part of what Jesus meant when uh, Peter quoted him in Acts chapter 20, or Paul quoted him And said, the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's the blessing of the joy of giving. And, um, you know, since it feels so good to give, and obviously, I mean, I love to receive gifts, don't you? I mean, some of you are, is that really true? Is it more blessed to give? I mean, I really like to get good gifts. I mean, it feels good, and I I agree with you. It's cool to get a, a, a gift. But what Jesus was talking about when he said it's more blessed to give, he's talking about that joy that is so powerful. Now, if, if you've experienced that joy at least once in your life, and I'm hoping that everybody has, and maybe you experience it all the time because you're a person who gives all the time, but I'm trusting that everyone's felt that at least once in their life. You would think because it feels so good to give and the the joy on a person's face when they receive that, it's a win-win. You would think that we would be giving to each other all the time. I mean, I'm not talking about just the church, I'm talking about everywhere, that everybody in our world would just be giving because it feels so good. I mean, even from a self-centered standpoint, you know, I give because it just feels good. I heard a person say one time, I give because it makes me feel good. Okay, well, at least you're giving, but because it feels so good to us and it feels so good to the person we're giving to, you would think that be giving would be happening all the time, but it's not. In fact, it's stunning how little people give, whether it's to charities or to churches or to uh, organizations, or whether it's to neighbors or whether it's to, to you know strangers. Maybe the best gift you've ever given was to a stranger. That's what I didn't think about that one. But it's, it's stunning how little we give. And when you ask somebody about it, and I bet this is true for those of you who don't give, you've got really good reasons. And one of those is probably, well, I don't have enough. I mean, I would love to give. I bet, it's, I bet it feels just as good as you're saying, Jim. I wish I was a millionaire. I wish I had a lot of money. I wish I had a lot of stuff. I don't have as much as you, so <laughs> give me a break. I, I, I don't give because I, I don't have it. And I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not comparing you to millionaires because a lot of millionaires don't give either. <laughs> and compared to the rest of the world, we are stinking rich. If you're hearing my voice in the United States of America, if you're here today, are you here today? Just Just checking. If you're here today, you know, you're in the, the, the richest people of the, in the world. But we convince ourselves, well, I just don't have enough. And the second reason is real similar. It's I won't have enough. You know, well, that's the same. No, no, I, I don't have enough. As I look around, I'm like, I, I don't have enough. I mean, I would love to give, but I won't have enough it means I do have enough to give. But if I give, then I won't have enough for myself. And I, I, I'll be empty. I, I gave all, you know, more than I had for myself. And so now I feel like I won't have enough for me. And so we hold, we we, we hoard, we, we, we withhold because I don't have enough or I don't, won't have enough. And, you know, that makes sense for people who don't know God. It makes sense for people who know about God, but don't Trust God. But that makes no sense to people who are in the adventure of trust with God, who know God, who trust God, because to know Him, again, not to know about Him, to know God is to trust God. And if you trust God, what I'm talking about in this morning makes zero sense because you're not giving out of your own resources, right? You know, the adventure of trust is that I'm trusting that God who gives. Freely, who is the trustworthy owner of all and gives to me and trusts to me, gives so that I can give. And you can't outgive God. <laughs> you, you can't get to the point where God goes, Whoa, whoa slow down. I don't have enough. You know, God never says ever about anything. I don't have enough. God has everything all He needs. And that's why. When we talk about giving money to God, we never can add to what God has. He doesn't need anything. He has all he needs. He's not a needer. He's a giver. And he gives, he entrusts to those in this adventure of trust, those who are disciples of him, those who are Christians, he entrusts to us so that we will give to others so that we'll begin to experience the joy of giving, do you know that joy? Do, is the joy of giving something you've experienced once in a while, or do you live in the joy of giving? Because you can, seriously, you can experience the joy of giving, and I want to talk about this uh, this morning. I want to talk about giving. Now, relax. This, I have there's no appeals here for you to give to the church. Everybody, go. Actually, don't do that because you love the church. But no, there's, I'm gonna talk about giving, but a big caveat is I'm not gonna ask you to give to the church. I'm not gonna challenge you to give to the church. I'm not gonna talk about, well, one little thing I'll say about giving to the church, but I'm not gonna ask you to give. This is not a giving, a fundraising sermon at the end as you walk out the door, oh, there they are, you know, give it before you leave. No, none of that's gonna happen. Well, then why would a preacher preach about giving if he doesn't want people to give to the church? Because I'm talking about something so much bigger than giving to the church. I'm talking about a lifestyle. I'm actually here to help you into experiencing something that I think a lot of you don't quite fully understand because your people and the vast majority of people don't get the joy of giving, because if we did, there would be so much giving, would be, be floating all over the place. No need for appeals, anyone to make appeals anywhere, not in government, not in social agencies, not in churches, not in nonprofits. There would be no appeals because we would just have so much because everybody loves to give. But the fact is, very few people understand the joy of giving. Very few people trust God and step into the adventure of giving as a person who represents God. And there's a letter I want to turn, invite you to turn to in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul is talking to a group of people who had not yet caught the vision of the joy of giving. I'm hoping you can relax in this sermon because I'm not gonna be making an appeal because people get so uptight when we do that. So just relax. Um, but last week, we talked about this biblical plan to help you, or two weeks ago, to be a, to be a trustworthy steward of God's money. And, and two weeks ago, I gave you this seven, from, from the Bible, this seven characteristics, you might say, of, of a trustworthy giver, a trustworthy steward, a biblical plan. And last week, we talked about tithing. And this week I wanna talk about setting aside some money to be generous, to giving. And I know some of you are like, well wait, wait, wait how come you're doing two sermons on giving? I'm not doing two sermons on giving. Last week was tithing. This week is giving. Isn't that the same thing? Actually, it's not. Tithing is returning, not giving. It's returning to God what belongs to him. <laughs> and, and we talked about this last week. It's returning 10% of your income. What's giving? That's anything you give to the church or anybody else, anywhere over and above that tithe. So you don't give your tithe money to your neighbor. You don't give your tithe money to a missionary. You don't give your tithe money to some other kind of place. You give it to God. You give it to the storehouse that belongs to God. That's the first 10%. You don't tithe your time as a substitute for giving back to God the 10% of his income that he's entrusted to you. By the way, you know, let me just invite you to go to our website and that drop down I talked about last week with the 90-day tithe challenge. This week, I'm right above it. There's a thing called FAQs, and there's a whole page on our website. Let me make this even bigger for you. Bam, <laughs> give. There's a drop down FAQs. That's that's frequently asked questions about tithing and giving, and so we, we answer all kinds of questions about can I t- can tithing my time count for tithing of my income, and and we'll get, show you all the answers because. I mean, there's always lots of questions about tithing, but especially when we compare tithing to giving because people don't understand. So now you do, tithing is is the 10% we return to God. Giving is anything else over and above or anything else that we give to people or organizations or the church or anywhere else. So I'm not talking about tithing this morning. I'm talking about giving. And if you found 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let's stand to our feet and... um, Pretty sure it's in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter eight. And um, let's just read the first, what, nine verses, shall we? Um, I'm in the New International Version. And now, brothers and sisters, Paul's writing to Christians, disciples. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian believers the Macedonian churches. Pause for a minute, look up here at the screen. When he talks about the Macedonian churches, Paul is writing from that region right there in Macedonia, and he's writing to the church in Corinth, people who live here. Macedonia is the region that includes Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, all churches that we know about. We have letters that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Thessalonica, not Berea, Um, but that's a region, okay? And he's gonna talk in this letter about taking an offering for the church in Jerusalem. So Paul's actually writing a fundraising letter about helping out the people in Jerusalem because they've gone through a wicked, I learned that that word when I lived in Boston 20 years ago, 30 years ago, a wicked famine that was wiping out people and people were dying of starvation. And so Paul was on this tour of all the churches that he founded. And he was challenging all these churches to, to be ready to take an offering so that when he came by, he would grab that offering and take it all the way to Jerusalem to help relieve the suffering of brothers and sisters, Christians in, Mas- in uh, Jerusalem. Just by the way, I, um, I will be leading a, a, tri- a discipleship trip next year to this very region. And we'll start in Philippi. We're gonna follow the book of Acts. Literally... Verse by verse, we're going to follow the travelogue. I, I love doing this. The travelogue that Paul, that Luke wrote about, we will go from Philippi to Thessalonica to Berea to Athens to Synchrea to Corinth. Then, a, then we'll take a cruise ship, yeah, just like Paul did, and go across the Aegean Sea, which is amazing, to Ephesus, visit some islands, go down to Crete, like Paul did, come back to Athens, and then fly to Rome. It's going to be an amazing trip. Sign up. Well, you can't sign up yet, but just put it on your radar. That's next year, okay? So this region that Paul's talking about, again, he's living in Macedonia at the time, and he's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says to them, in the midst of these people, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, whose? The churches of Macedonia, Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people in the people of Jerusalem, Christians in Jerusalem. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And so we urged Titus just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Since you guys excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. What a fascinating phrase. See that you excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it With the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Okay, you may be seated. Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth to say, hey, would you give an offering to help relieve these churches? suffering in Jerusalem. And this phrase in verse 9 that is so captivating, I used this verse a couple weeks ago to help us see the, the, the example of Jesus. When Paul's talking to disciples, and I don't know how many of you are disciples here today, I hope a lot, Christians, serious Christians, disciples of Jesus. When Paul's writing to followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, over and over again, you can read this in his writings, he keeps pointing to Jesus. Why? Because it's discipleship. <laughs> discipleship is about following Jesus. So he keeps pointing to Jesus. So in this chapter, chapter eight, he starts off talking about the disciples in Macedonia, but he lands up talking with, about Jesus. So verse nine is four, meaning therefore, or I'm connecting what I've just said from verses one through eight with this. So Jesus is the example I wanna connect with. I wanna end with him. He's the ultimate example of giving, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he's not talking about monetary kind of richness. He's, he's talking about the richness of heaven. He's talking about having everything he needs, everything he wants in heaven. He leaves heaven to come to earth to die on the cross for you. That's what Paul's talking about, verse nine. He, for your sake, he became poor. He became human. He became vulnerable. He became vulnerable to the point of dying on the cross. You can't get any poorer than giving up your own life. Jesus went from the richest person in the world, heaven, to giving up his own life. And Paul says, he's our example. He's our example of giving. Not that we have to die on a cross. Not that we have to you know, give up our lives physically and die That's not what he's talking about. He's he's using it as an example of of how Jesus modeled a life of giving, of self sacrifice. He's the ultimate model for us as disciples. And so, you you know how when we talk about discipleship, it's we're following Jesus, is what disciples do, to learn from Jesus, to become like Jesus. That's what Paul's doing here. I'm giving Jesus as the example so you can learn from him and you would become like him, which means if you want to take your notes, you can write down giving is a discipleship issue. For Jesus, who talks a lot about giving, for Paul, here in this passage and in other places, discipleship, or giving is a discipleship issue. So we're gonna talk about from this passage, because this is what Paul says, he's using Jesus as the example. We're gonna talk about seven characteristics of disciples who give like Jesus, right from this text. There's lots more we could talk about, but we're gonna stay in verses one through nine. Disciples of Jesus who give like Jesus do it this way. It's characterized by, now we're just gonna walk through this text. So verse one, he says, "Um, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. It's interesting that he uses that same word at the end of the passage where he's talking about Jesus is our example. He doesn't say you know about the love of our Lord Jesus he uses this phrase, the grace of our Lord Jesus. Now we talk a lot about the grace of God. We don't talk that much about the grace of our Lord Jesus. So when I saw that, it stood out to me, I'm like, ooh. And I don't know whether Paul's trying to use the same word, has like a bookends, whether he's trying to say that just like Jesus the master, so these disciples in Macedonia captured the way that Jesus had given. They learned from Jesus, but it's our first thing to write down about The kind of disciples or disciples that give like Jesus are motivated by grace. Verse one, verse nine. Motivated by grace, not by duty. Paul's not putting some guilt trip on these guys. Not saying, you know, you owe, you owe God. You owe the people. There's no sense of, of, you know, he actually says in verse eight, I'm not commanding you. so. Unlike a lot of other preachers who put all kinds of guilt onto people, because you can get a lot of money by guilting people. Oh, it really works. And so now that you know that, if you didn't already, just watch the way people try to raise money. They use guilt all the time. I mean, how about some of these info commercials that we see that about these animals that are suffering? And, and you know, you're watching that and you just feel so bad. You're like, I gotta do something, you know. They they beat you down into this, I better give something. You know, that's just another version of getting people to feel guilty. But but God doesn't call us to give out of guilt, and certainly Paul is not saying that. It's not out of duty, it's out of grace. And so when he talks about this grace that motivates, it. It reminds us of this whole adventure of trust that we're in, that Paul is saying, the grace that God has given each one of us. Notice very carefully, Paul is not saying, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, fellow disciples, about how generous the Macedonians are or how sacrificial they are. He could have written that. But notice what he writes about the grace that God's given them. So it's almost like they don't get any credit for it because it actually came first from God. Do you see that the grace of verse one leads to the giving of verse two? Do you see that? The grace of God in verse one leads to the giving of verse two, actually the rich generosity. So that is the whole, what, what, what the whole stewardship picture is about. That's what the adventure of trust is about is that God's not trying to wring out of us our every last cent. Please hear this. God's trying to get us to understand that he has given us so much. He's entrusted. He's given us grace. He's given us finances. He's given us breath. He's given us life itself. He is given, given, given. That's who God is. And he wants to learn, help us learn to, to give out of that as good stewards of God's resources. So when we catch this vision, it's not about I don't have enough because you have more than you could possibly need. Why? Because it's not yours that out of your resources, you're giving out of God's resources. You're merely a steward. It's it's, it's not coming from your own resources. And I, I keep underlining this concept because it's so foundational when I find somebody who grasps that God is the owner of everything and that we're the stewards, that person has no problem giving. But most people either know it only intellectually or they don't know it at all. They still think that all the stuff they have is yours. Do you still think that all the stuff you have is yours? (laughs) Then you don't understand stewardship. You don't understand God's grace. You think you earned it. You think that you, it was your hard labor. You, you think that you did it all yourself. No, everything that you have, God gave you. You're like, God didn't go to work with me. God gave you the ability to work. He gave you the brain. He gave you the breath to breathe. Everything you have finds its genesis in God. And when God says your time is up, you can't do anything about it. And <laughs> It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much stuff you've accumulated. It doesn't matter how many people owe you. When God says your time is up, there is nothing you can do. That proves that we are powerless. We have no control. It helps us begin to realize. This is why people on their deathbed always realize these things or usually realize these things. I'm so small. I have so little. Everything actually is about God. He has it all. He gives it all. And I'm a steward of that. And when you realize that you're not the owner, but you're the steward, you can tap into God's resources and unlimited resources. Now, Paul goes on to help us see this. But next verse, verse 2, when he says, in the midst of a very severe trial, you guys, the people in Jerusalem have it bad, but so did the people in Macedonia. They're not giving out of their surplus. This is one of the most remarkable things about this passage. Paul's going out of his way to help people see that, that, the Macedonians didn't give because they have a lot extra, because they have a big surplus. No, out of a very severe trial and extreme poverty, it welled up in rich. It's like this, it's like an equation. I'm gonna put it this way: the very trial, severe trial plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. You if you look at your text, you can see that's very legitimate. A math equation that comes right out of those words. You're like, since when does very severe trial plus extreme poverty equal rich generosity? I totally get if they're in a very severe trial, but they've got all kinds of money. Or I get very much that, that you know, they've been just getting blessed. They had extreme poverty, but now they're getting all kinds of blessing. But to put these together, it doesn't equal rich generosity. But I left out of a phrase. If you got your Bible open? Did you see the phrase I left out? I'll put it on the screen for you. Here's the word again: very extreme trial, overflowing joy. So, so here's our here's our actual equation now: very severe trial plus overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. Well, that come on. That, there's no money in overflowing joy. If they're in extreme poverty, they don't have money. How are they able to give? And and, and by the way, who would be overflowing in joy while they're going through a very severe trial and are living in extreme poverty? Who are these people? Open your Bible up again. The answer is in verse one. I've already pointed it out, but let me make it crystal clear. Verse one, we want you to know about the grace that God has given. You add that to the equation. That's the point. It's not the circumstances. It never is. It's not the circumstances of the very severe trial or the circumstances of their extreme poverty. It's the fact of God's grace. And that's what brings overflowing joy. And whatever circumstances you're in, when you've received the grace of God, you are able to be richly generous. Amen? That's what Paul is trying to help us see. But we're just stuck on the extreme poverty and the very severe trial. Wow! I love how Paul writes this so starkly so we can go... That's impossible if it wasn't for the grace of God. Exactly, now you're getting it. That's the point that Paul's trying to make. And that's why they're living in this overflowing joy because that's what the grace of God does. And those who are disciples who give like Jesus are filled to overflowing with that kind of joy. You know what? I've made a lot of stupid financial decisions in my life. And I'm talking about, you know, small ones and big ones. It just been stupid. Impulse buying. This would be a great time to ask for a show of hands, you know. I bet everybody here has bought something on impulse that you, after your fact, you were like, why did I do that? Because it broke before you got it home or because you didn't need it or you just like, well, I don't know why I did that. And I think back to my 20s. I'm a teenager, 20s, 30, 40s, 50s, you know, I'm in my 60s now. You know, I, I look back and I think... I, I actually have a lot of regret of some on some of the financial decisions I've made. I, I, uh, I've bought things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I buy that? And sometimes I buy things and I bring them home. And my wife goes, why did you buy that? And so we return it. And just to be fair, it's the opposite sometimes as well. We all do this, you know, and great that we can return things because sometimes you can't, you know, you just got to live with that bad financial decision. And maybe you have some regret, maybe small regret, maybe a big regret, but you know what? I have zero regret for all the times I gave to someone who was in need. I have no regret. Where I emptied my pockets, where I gave over and above, when I, I went out of control because I was so captivated by them, their need, or by what God was calling me to do. I have zero regret, and I've given away a lot of money, a couple times, some really big sums of money, and I have zero regret. I'm filled with the joy of God that comes from the grace of God. I don't have any regret at all, and I doubt you do either. When you give motivated by grace, when you give with this kind of motivation out of the grace of God, as a steward of God's grace, you don't have regret. Instead, you have joy. (laughs) And so this very strange verse comes next where it says, verse 4, they urgently, the Macedonians, urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service. Remember how I said at the beginning of the sermon, if giving feels so good, and it's a win-win, it feels good to me, it feels good to other people, why don't more of us give? These people are, they're actually pleading. And I, I actually know a couple of people over the course of my life who are like this, who want to be in on the giving so much. They're like, let me in, let me in. I want to write a check. We have enough. No, but I want to do something. Can I do something else? And they get, they caught the vision of, giving like Jesus. They've caught the vision of being a follower of Jesus who gives like Jesus. And that's what brings us to this verse again, when Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he says, yet for your sake, he became poor. I've highlighted now some different words. Instead of fo- focusing on how rich he was or his giving up his life on the cross, now I've highlighted. His reason why he did it, for your sake, so that you. And that gives us our next characteristic of giving is that we're motivated, we're focused on serving others, not serving ourselves. We're motivated on serving others, not serving ourselves. And this kind of giving that Paul says comes from the life of Jesus is something that he tried to help his disciples catch over and over and over again. Guys, I I came to give, and I want you to follow me and be a giver. You know, I wonder, I wonder if this is why, you remember that one story in the Gospel of uh, Mark, and I think it's also in Luke, where Jesus is watching um, uh, people give at, at, at the temple. They come in, actually, I think we have this on the screen. Let me t- tell you this, point this story. I've always wondered why Jesus did this, why he sat down and watched the offering box <laughs> and why he was so captivated by this woman. I, th- I think I know now. So let's re- read this story. Jesus sat down near the offering box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Isn't that a sobering thought? Jesus is watching how much you give. <laughs> oh, many rich people, like you know Americans, Many rich people put in large amounts. Then, you guys know this story. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Why does verse 43 happen? Jesus called his disciples to him. Why? Because giving is a discipleship issue. <laughs> disciples, hey, 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 this is a discipleship moment. You know, it's not in a classroom. The best discipleship moments are in, you know, on the way happening. Guys, stop right here. I got a discipleship moment. I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more what? Than all the others who are making contributions. Why? Because they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything. I wonder if that's why Jesus noticed her and pointed her out because he's drawn to her, because just like him, she gave it all. No one has ever lived like Jesus. No one's ever spent their whole life giving. And Jesus goes, I found someone who's like me. <laughs> it's taken me 30 years to find someone like me. She's just like me. She gives it all. She, she completely sacrifices. And there's two things I want you to see in this story. This is the most important thing by far, that Jesus is drawn to her giving heart because she gave it all and that's the way he was. But there's, I want to take a couple seconds to point out this. This one's not nearly as important, but I want to take the moment to point it out. And it's the phrase, the offering box. Jesus is watching the offering box. Um, A number of months ago, I was preparing for this sermon and just reading this, and I noticed this phrase, offering box. And I thought back to when we were church planters. My wife and I planted two churches, and we never passed an offering plate at the churches we planted. We had an offering box, kind of like in the temple. And um, so there's no offering plate being happened here in Mark chapter 12. It's just that when you walk in, you walk by the offering box and you put in your tithe or you put in your offering and uh, then you go in. And so the reason why we didn't pass an offering plate at our church plant was because we had heard that the biggest reason that people don't want to become Christians or don't want to go to church is because all they want is your money. And so my wife and I said, let's let's just buck that trend. Let's invite all these people and when, and you know talk to people about Jesus and when they come to church, we won't pass an offering plate. They'll be waiting for the offering plate, and you know, it never comes. Now we have an offering box outside on a table that has a little sign that says, "For those who are members or regular attenders who are supporting this, you know, here's what you put in your money." But if you're a guest, don't. This is not for you. And so that box and no offering plate, and it was just. Our, we were so hungry to reach new people for Christ. We wanted to lower every possible excuse for why people wouldn't come to church and just make it as easy as possible for people to go, you know what? I can't I can't deny it. This Jesus guy and these Jesus people, they're amazing. And we heard people comment about it over and over again. So I was thinking about that. and I thought, what if we did it at an open door? What if we stopped passing the plates? Oh, did I just hear that? What if we stopped passing the plates? So I talked to some of our leaders and they're like, that could be kind of cool. So, we, so the church stewardship board met, because this is their responsibility, and instead of them going, well, what about, we won't have enough money. I don't think we could do that. They were all unanimously like, let's do it. Let's stop passing the plate at Church of the Open Door. I thought either hear a groan or a shout, but nothing. Are you guys awake out there? Because <laughs> when people come to our church for the first time, they don't know that we're giving as an act of gratitude to God. They don't know that it's an act of, sacrifice because we love God. They don't know that it's an act of worship, and we're not going to say that every week. All they know is, there we go. I knew it. They just want your money as the offering plate goes by. So we're going to stop passing the offering plate at Church The Open Door. So first, got to order these boxes for each campus and have them, you know, make that right. But stay tuned. We're going to just follow Jesus and follow this idea of because uh, I don't see offering plates in the Bible. In fact, I don't see them in the early church. So why do we pass an offering plate? I think because we. I don't know. I don't want to speak in other people's motives, but I just don't think we need to do it anymore. And my my leadership team agrees, and so we're done. Well, you know, in a couple of weeks probably. So see how I said that's that's kind of that may be most important to you, but it's not most important to me. Number one is the most important thing that Jesus was attracted to me because. She gave. Now, let's finish this up. Paul says, since you guys excel in everything, in faith and gifts and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and the love. Notice this word love, it shows up twice. You know, this, this love. I want, you to, I want you to excel in this love. I want you to excel in this grace of giving. I, I wanna I want challenge your love because that's what drives the giving of God. That's what drives the giving of Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave. It's an incredible phrase. Love drives this kind of thing. And Paul's been saying that already in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, just a couple of chapters earlier. He said, this is what compels us, this is what drives us. And, and by the way, this is what drives church the open door. This is why we came up with this whole thing called the five Bs. This love, this heart that represents the love of God, the church and this is you, as a Christian, you got the love of God in your heart as you become more and more like Christ, and you're in the church, you're in, you're unfolding the love, and then we ask you to go outside of that love, outside of the church, and build. See, one has a heart, one doesn't. If the heart is the Christian, but non-Christians have a heart, they just don't have a heart for God, and you build a relationship with a person that doesn't know Christ. Why? Because love compels you not to come to church and sing and celebrate, but to to go out and build relationships with people that don't know God's love, and then to bring them to begin to get a sense of belonging. So the day comes when they will believe, watch this, and start their journey of becoming like Christ, because that's what happens when you put your faith in Christ, when you surrender. You now become a part of the love of God, the family of God, the church of God, and then that new Christian is a part of becoming, they go out and build relationships, and this is what we do. It's all driven by love. It's, Paul says, love of God compels me, not pressure. See, we don't talk enough about the five B's here. We don't talk enough about, because I don't want to pressure you guys, but every once in a while, I just got to remind us, this is what God's called us to do. And is the love of God driving us? Is it compelling us to reach out to others, to give to others, Or are we back to the beginning of the sermon where we just keep it to ourselves because I don't have enough and I I won't have enough. So these these motivations, these things that we're focused on, these these characteristics of what it means to be like Christ, but then this is where I think it all starts for us. If you want to leave today and go, okay, I want to start doing this, here's where I think it should start. Not with you giving a gift, not with you giving money. Verse five, they gave themselves... First of all, to the Lord. We would say open door, they were living surrendered. That's what it means to give yourself to the Lord. I'm I'm living this surrendered life. Lord, I I give you my heart. Lord, I give you my money. Lord, I give you my time. I give you me, all of me. So any money I give comes out of the fact that I'm giving my all to God. And no amount of money given can ever substitute for your giving your heart to God, your life to God. No money, no amount. I don't care how much you were to give. It can never substitute you giving your soul, your heart, your life to God. So, you know, living surrendered is kind of living in this perpetual, Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, have your way with me. Lord, lord here i am this, this here i am i'm just gonna live for you that's called living the adventure that's that's called living this living surrendered kind of life uh, let me close with this i i heard a story about this this couple such a wild story I heard a story about this couple who were at this restaurant and come out of the restaurant and they, they they see somebody on the street they're like hey i think we've seen those people at the church we go to haven't been going that long but they, they you know they, they kind of got into a conversation and the conversation went on and on and and um they got talking about the financial peace university that both of these couples had been in. And the and one the, the couple that was that was on the street said, Well, have you guys like you know been good at getting rid of your debt? And I like, Yeah, we've we've paid over sixty thousand dollars on our debt. And they're like, Whoa, amazing. How much more do you go? And they said ten thousand dollars. Like, you only have $10,000 to go in and you'll be debt-free? And they're like, yeah. Like, what are you going to do when you uh, pay off that $10,000? That like, well, we'd really love to get a trampoline for the kids, but we've always had our hearts set on adopting. So that's, as soon as we pay off that $10,000, we are going to put start putting money toward adoption. And they're like, well, that's that's pretty cool. And didn't say anything else about it. And um, conversation kind of wound down and they walked away. Well, the next day, you know, they had been talking about their jobs as well. The next day, this guy should come up to his job, and they're at the desk. There's a trampoline with his name on it, a big old giant trampoline. He's like, what? It was from that couple. And so he gets it home, and he tells his kids, and they're like, "They're having a blast. And, and later on that day, they got a text from this couple that says, hey, we'd like to come over for a second. Would that be all right? And the guy was like, oh, I knew it. I knew it. I know what's going on here. And he's like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. We're really, really busy. So they called. He's like, these multi-level markers. I know how they work. They get their hooks in you, you know, this nice trampoline. The next thing you know, I'm signed up for this multi-level thing, and I can't get out of it because they gave to me first. And he's like, no, if they, you could, I'll wrap the trampoline back up. He goes, no, 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 no it's, it's, not about, it's not about the trampoline. Well, then why do you want to meet with us? It just take us a second. We just wanted to give you a check. By the way, how do you, how do you uh, spell your name? Why? Well, we wanted to give you the $10,000 check to pay off your remaining debt so you could start the adoption process. And at this point, they're like, what is up with you guys? Who does that? And they're like, no, seriously, can you just, how do you spell your name? They got the check all written. And they're like, they're looking at each other, can this be real? And they're saying, hey, when you see us at church, don't be weird about this. You know, just treat us like normal. And don't tell anybody else we did this. And they walk away, they drove away. And this couple is telling this story. We're like, we, we didn't know what to do. We found out later that this couple had adopted four kids of their own and couldn't adopt anymore, but they believed in adoption so much that they were looking for a couple that they could just give to because they live in the adventure of giving. And they just do this. They just keep going. Brings me back to the beginning of the sermon. What's the best gift you've ever given? I I don't know, for that one couple, was it when they gave the trampoline and the $10,000 so this couple could go adopt? Or was that just the way they lived their life? Because see, that's living in the adventure of trust that I'm just here to give because God keeps giving to me and I just wanna dole it out. I just wanna distribute it everywhere I can. So you could wrap this up by just saying, living the surrendered life, and living from is the only way to live. It is adventure of trust that we keep talking about these last couple of weeks. And I wanna invite you into that. Wouldn't it be cool if we could tell some stories about that kind of giving in our church that one of you gave to somebody else or that one of you gave to a, another person? Not giving gifts to the church, giving to each other. The kind of giving that just changes a whole congregation because people are not hoarding they're stewards who get that we're all here to give because we have been given to, and we experience the joy of giving, and it's the only way to live. If you have a story like that, would you, would you send it to us? You can send it to our executive pastor, mark at opendoor.tv. Mark at opendoor.tv. Just send it to him. We'll start collecting some of these stories, and maybe you'll hear some of these because this is the kind of thing that just can get contagious when we catch the joy of giving instead of just hearing a sermon about it, amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you for the way you give and give and give to us. And Lord, I I wonder if there'd be anybody here today who would say, when you guys talk about this, I, I don't even have a relationship with God. Lord, maybe today they would just give their heart to you right now. Just surrender their life. I give my heart to you. I surrender myself to you. And Lord, I know there are people here who have surrendered their life to you, but I also know that some of them are holding on. And so today, we want to just practice giving ourselves to you. We want to practice. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Give you all of me. Have your way in me. I'm a steward of what belongs to you. So I give myself to you. May more and more of us catch this vision as we live in this perpetual, Lord, here's my heart. Lord, I give you my life. Lord, have your way in me. For we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.